Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Bill, you are so perky these days. Yeah. You know, some, some weeks it sounds like we just like dragged you out of bed to do this. It, it's a front. Others I'm, I'm, like... a, I'm a sad clown. <laughs> Smiling through tears. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Can you give us a little Pagliacci? <laughs> <laughs> I know it from cartoons. So. <laughs> not from going to the Met Opera? No, it's not actually from knowing opera. Oh yeah, it's like one of those Bugs Bunny cartoons where they would. Yeah, most people my age, I think, you know, those of us who didn't, who aren't opera fans, all of our opera knowledge comes from Bugs Bunny. Yes. Bugs Bunny, that that and uh, our knowledge of old celebrities, you know, like yes, Crosby and all those people. I don't think kids know anything about celebrities that are a little older than them. Like, you know, we just grew up watching variety shows that our parents like. So, you know, I used to like the who, variety shows. I thought, yeah. Why did that go away? You'd think that that would be sort of making a comeback, but never really. Everybody's sort of going in their own corners with their own devices and their own, you know what I mean? Like there is no common media anymore. I remember being a kid and thinking that the Dean Martin roasts were the funniest and most adult things I ever saw on television. They were hilarious. Oh, Everybody was. That's so funny because I was just I was just going to mention Foster Brooks, which only people who watch the D. Martin roast would know. Foster Brooks was like Foster Brooks from my hometown of Rochester. Oh, is that oh, right? I believe so. Yes. So that's where he learned to drink heavily. In well, everybody in Rochester did. <laughs> just don't drink the water out of that river. It's Odochrome. Exactly. <laughs> Well, here we are again, having so much fun. So, um, so on the uh, on the podcast controls is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. I am Adam Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. Hi, Bill Sutton, and also Brendan J. O'Reilly, who had a birthday recently, is here. Happy birthday, Brendan. Happy birthday. Thank you. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. And I saw on Facebook you went to the movies last night. Yeah, we went to the new Marvel film. Wow. Now I know what I need to get you for your next birthday all the action figures to put on your desk was it good that he's got a lot of them already action figures are not cheap in that so watch what you commit to oh i will make it we'll make it a a group present we'll all like pull 10 bucks and get you one also here is joe shaw hey joe hey annette i'm joe shaw i'm the executive editor of the express news group and brendan i i haven't started the marvel marvel stuff uh, yeah. The fact that you called it Marvel, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not an ice cream telling. place, Joe. It's not like Carvel. <laughs> you know what? It's the same thing that keeps me from reading. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, <laughs> what's it called? The the six part book by um, um, Swan's Way and uh, Swan's Way. Marcel Proust. So, Brendan, I, I haven't started the Marvel. I said, I did it again. Uh, Marvel. 
Brendan, I haven't started the Marvel movies for the same reason I haven't started reading In Search of Lost Time by Proust because it's just so daunting. I don't. I, I know that it, that it's like this enormous undertaking, and I haven't been able to even. I don't. What is the jumping off point for the Marvel universe? I don't even know. Iron Man, two thousand eight. That's where I want to start. Okay, good to know. If if you if you're streaming, there you can, there's an option. You can watch them in order. It will show you them in in order. You can watch them on All right. Disney. If you go to Disney Plus. Can watch from, is there like a, it's I like just timeline it's like timeline order not order of production and brendan how much of my life is this going to take up if i decide to jump into this each movie is like two to three hours and there's like i don't know at least 20 movies now right yeah but definitely but definitely worth it joe they're all great all right it's going to take you as long as it's taking me to get through this introduction is what Go think about all the time you waste so, watching <laughs> hockey and football <laughs> and just how much more productive you could be watching Marvel movies or in your case, Marvel movies. Yeah, because that's, that's productive. <laughs> all right. So my name is Annette Hinkle and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today, this has been so long, Alec Deferta, who is on an Amtrak Acela, I'm guessing, heading north to New York. Is that where you are? I'm heading north to New York, but heading south to DC. I'm heading north. It's not the Acela. You're going to keep it's going. The normal Amtrak. Oh, you're on the you're in the cattle car. <laughs> I am. I'm in like the cafe car right now. No wonder your Wi-Fi spotty. <clears throat> but it's like was been so long. I noticed that Alec had to like get off the call for a while so his ticket could be scanned, and now he's back on. And we still hadn't finished our Marvel dis- our Marvel discussion, as <laughs> Joe would say it. So. <laughs> so how is the train is it is it largely um traveled or is it are people not so much taking the train it's actually sold out today so it's really busy we, wow it definitely could use some infrastructure improvements so where exactly are you are you are you like in delaware i just passed baltimore washington international airport so just south of baltimore I think. and our and our washington correspondent well there you go our, our man on the road well, that's actually kind of appropriate because um, what we're speaking about today is a story that Alec wrote the 7th of October, which was about redistricting. And of course, every decade after the census comes out, states either lose or pick up congressional seats based on how their population has shifted. And unfortunately, for those of us that live in New York State, we are losing one of our congressional seats because our census came in and we were 89 people short of keeping our seat. I think, are we are we going down to 27 seats? Is that right, Alec? We're going down to 26 seats. Six. So we had 27. We're, we're losing. Yeah. Yeah. So our seat is going out to Colorado or somewhere like that. Or who else gained a seat? It's, I think it's going to Montana. Montana. So they actually do that. Just say New yeah. York seat is going to Montana. It's that specific. Because Montana gained one, huh? I think in this case, they were like, if New York had 89 more people, the seat would have stayed in New York and Montana would have gotten it. It could be Minnesota. It's one of the two. Who didn't send in their census form? <laughs> you know, like everyone thinks that that stuff doesn't matter. But yeah, so it matters. But also every 10 years after the census, then what each state does is redraw the districting maps, which determine which congressional district that you're in. And it tends to go back and forth depending on who is in charge at the state level, right? Alec, is that how it works? And it's, but right now we have um, 
Democrats have a stronghold in the state. So they are looking at getting maps that will be the Democratic Party. But in 2014, they had come up with an idea to actually get a bipartisan process because New York had been so contentious previously. And everybody thought that's how it would be done with the with the bipartisan commission coming up with with the districting maps. And of course, now it seems like that's not happening and the Democrats are sort of hoping to get their way. So you know this issue far better than I will. So I'm thinking maybe you should launch into <laughs> what you have learned about redistricting. Yeah. So just a little primer on redistricting, like depending on who controls the state government, there are two different motivations that can be served. You either, so like, let's say you have a divided state government um, where Republicans maybe control the governorship, but Democrats control the legislature. I can't think of a state where that's the case. Um, Then the motivation for redistricting is to protect incumbent Congress people. There's an incumbent um, motivation. But if there's unified state government, the motivation is a partisan gerrymander, which I don't want to say New York is like ready to do that, but it certainly seems based on reporting from other outlets that um, New York is New York Democrats in Albany are really kind of coordinating with people in Washington, Democrats in Washington to gerrymander the districts in New York to favor um, Democrats. So and it, it seems like, you know, right now we're looking at what we have. Um, so it's 19 and eight, 19 Democrats and eight Republicans today. But if the Democrats are able to come out with a new redistricting map, it could theoretically become 23 Democrats and three Republicans, which would really shift the political map quite a bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, currently New York, um, it was drawn by a judge in 2012, but the map is favorable to Republicans. There's about a 10 point advantage Republicans have. Um, from New York's congressional map. So like, it's not gerrymandered because it does do it, but if this map were to come out of legislature, like you could say it's a Republican gerrymander. Um, so that's an interesting little tidbit about New York. I'm pretty sure a lot of people don't know. To be clear, Alec, are you talking about just the first district or are you talking about the district maps all over the state? All over the state. New York is about, New York is, it's not gerrymandered because of Judge Jerry, but New York's maps are favorable to Republicans as they currently stand. Interesting. Yeah. And when you say gerrymandered, you mean that's when one party or the other really takes charge and draws very bizarrely shaped districts in order to benefit their party. That's correct. I mean, gerrymanders can, they can look square. Like the the shape of the gerrymander doesn't coordinate, doesn't um, like, coincide to how gerrymandered the district is. I took a class on Congress uh, in undergrad, and like one of the things our professor told us was, you can't judge a gerrymander by the way the district looks. Um, it really just depends on where the people in the district lie. And that brings us that brings us to the first district, right, Alec? Because that's kind of the point is that the first district is a fascinating uh, case of of the two parties and and where they are and and the proportions of the two and where you draw that line could could really be significantly beneficial to one party or the other uh, going forward, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So on the south shore of Long Island, it's like much more, like there's a democratic stronghold. And so part of the thing we saw in the two sets of maps released by the Independent Redistricting Commission was one, the Democrats version of the first district would extend a bit more further, um, further west on the south shore of Long Island to kind of scoop up more Democrats. And it made the district much more competitive for Democrats who haven't really been able to make any, any inroads in Lee Zeldin's victory margins in the past seven years. 
one way of kind of making the first district more competitive. It's, you only really have that one border because it's bordered by oceans and bays on all the other sides. So it's a hard district to kind of scoop up votes if you're Democrats trying to um, find votes to make the district more competitive. Alec, of the two maps that the so-called Independent Redistricting Commission put out, you know, they put out the Democratic members suggested map, the Republican members suggested map. Would one of them add Democrats to New York's congressional um, delegation? Would the other add Republicans? Or would one of them keep things the same and the other one would be a big change? Or do you know how many seats might swing? Yeah, so in the Democratic map, the seat change for Democrats is expected to be plus two and minus one Republican. And that's including the fact that we're losing a seat. Um, on my Republican app, it's pretty constant. I think he was a Democratic seat. So this independent redistricting commission was supposed to be Democrats and Republicans coming together to put out a map that everyone could agree on, but instead the commission somehow managed to put out two different maps, one drawn by Republicans, one drawn by Democrats. It made this commission completely useless. I wouldn't say completely useless because they are still trying, um, but the whole, the redistricting commission is made of four Republican appointees, four Democrat appointees, and two independents. And like the two independents because the people that were going to make it independent, um, but they both sided with different they both sided with the parties so it doesn't look like there's going to be um any any new draft maps coming out and so the only chance they really have to make this right is on january 1st when the map is due the democrats in albany or uh legislators in albany they submit one map that democrats like and even then if the democrats in albany can still override that map and kind of draw their own lines anyway it's almost like they wanted they wanted to do the right thing with this but things have gotten so um, politically charged in the last 10 years that they now kind of feel like, okay, forget trying to be fair. We're just going to, we're just going to grab what we can because other states are going the exact opposite. You know, the states where Republicans are in charge, they're likely to continue with the gerrymandering. So kind of like the gloves are off. Yeah. The draft maps are not going anywhere. Um, and I think you're going to see, like, if I'm to make a prediction, I don't like making predictions, but a prediction I would make is that Democrats will override these maps and they will draw maps favorable to them, especially because the governor, Kathy Hochul, said she supports, um, she didn't explicitly say she supports it, but she like was asked the question, like, do you support using New York's redistricting process to better Democrats' margins in the House of Representatives? And she said yes, just flat out yes. So she, she says support kind of, sinking, I don't want to say sinking, but playing the same game that Republicans and Democrats across the country have been playing with gerrymandering districts. I like Fred Beal's quote in, in your story, Alec, and he pretty much said that he thought that these, uh, these maps would probably be used to wrap fish. All of this got really worse after some states that had violated voting rights where they had to have their maps approved, I think, at the federal level. But that was discontinued by the Supreme Court, I believe. So that's why we've seen so much more partisan uh, gerrymandering in some of these states where that legislation sort of kept those states in line. Is that is that right? That's part of the reason. I think it's also just kind of the fact that, you know, constitutionally, the Supreme Court has said that they're, they're not going to touch partisan gerrymandering. They don't want to touch it. Um, it's also thereby it's kind of allowed federally. Um, and so I think that decision also kind of sparked this enthusiasm you have. 
racial gerrymandering is still unconstitutional, just to put like that needs to be on the record. You cannot do that. Um, but partisan gerrymandering, the Supreme Court didn't say it's fair game, but they did say we're not going to touch this. It's kind of not our jurisdiction. There needs to be a constitutional amendment that determines how congressional districts are drawn up. I and mean, we need to take the politics out of it. You know, the principle of a democracy is supposed to be the citizens choose their elected officials. But when you have gerrymandering, you have elected officials choosing their voters. So it's not the best way to run a government. Another big problem with it is when you create safe Republican seats and safe Democratic seats, there is no incentive for moderation. Moderates don't get to come in and win when what the they're going to vote for Republican no matter who it is. They're going to vote for Democrat no matter who it is. So then you just get people moving to the left on one side and moving to the right on the other side. And then we have a Congress, as we could see nationally, that can't even agree to raise the debt ceiling so the country doesn't default. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. One of the strategies of gerrymandering is to maximize the wasted votes of the other party. And so what you want to do is make really thin margins for your party to win in all the districts. So you want, like, let's say you're Republicans, what you want to do is make your party beat Democrats by the smallest margins in each district. That way you're kind of spread out like your voters and you want to pack Democrats into like one district. That way, like they, all their votes are casted on one member and like they have all these extra votes that they didn't need to use on that member. Um, And so it kind of goes both ways, honestly. I think you, like, I don't want to draw this conclusion, but you kind of saw that with Lee Zeldin. Like he's in a plus eight Republican district and it's being redistricted to potentially be much less Republican and he's not running again, he's running for governor. Um, I didn't ask him this question when I when I had the opportunity to email him, but I mean, it, it's not a crazy assumption to say that Lee Zeldin's not ringing again because he's being redistricted. That's a very common thing. Retirement does spike in years ending in two because it's when redistricting happens. Sorry about the, the train loudspeaker. No, it's okay, it adds character. Mind the gap, Alec. Yeah. I'm sorry. Foreign correspondent. We actually have a correspondent who's out of the state. <laughs> it does. What were you doing down in DC? Yeah, I go to grad school for international affairs. So we are going to have an international correspondent soon. <laughs> no, he's down there. He's he's he shot uh, photos of of the uh, veterans who who went down to the memorial from you know the honor flight folks. It's very cool having a uh, a Washington bureau correspondent. <laughs> Alec, he's our and he's our inaugural one. Um, your point about whether this this process and knowing that it was coming may have played a role in um, Lee Zeldin's decision uh, to run for governor rather than to run for reelection is really kind of interesting because um, this you know it's worth pointing out that despite the fact that the first district. Yeah, I think you said it has a nine-point Republican margin uh, in in uh, you know in general. Um, it's been a, a seat that's bounced back and forth over the years. And, and Tim Bishop from Southampton was the representative uh, for several terms, and he held the office for a while. And he was um, as far to the left, I think, as as Lee Zeldin is to the right. And uh, so, you know. Any slight change in, in where those district lines are drawn very well could have an outsized impact on the outcome of this race, no question. And, and if you're Lee Zeldin looking at um, what your chances are moving forward, the, the chance 
to, to roll in for re-election this year may or may not be as simple as it's been in the past for him. I think that's an interesting point. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Cordoraro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. On Behind the Headlines um, recently, we had this conversation and Michael Mackey from WLIW was on with us and he made an interesting observation that the, uh, the race for Suffolk County Legislature this year uh, for the seat that's currently held by Bridget Fleming and she's running for re-election to that seat, but she has also declared uh, her candidacy for the first district congressional seat. That race in Suffolk County legislature is kind of tied to the first district race in a lot of ways because Kara Hahn, who is the other primary candidate uh, out of the Democratic Party, I believe there are, I, I think there are six candidates lined up on the Democratic side for the first district seat. But um, is it five? It's five or six, something like that. But Bridget Fleming and Kara Hahn are both Suffolk County legislators who are running for re-election this year. And it'll be interesting to see how they do uh, and how that, how that may translate to general support for the first district race. But he also made the point that it could have some relation to who the Republican nominee is. Perhaps someone um, in that same situation running for Suffolk County legislature or a town board seat or something like that, if you have a big outpouring of support on the Republican side for a candidate, it may catapult them into uh, competition for the first district uh, nomination on the Republican side if uh, Lee Zeldin's not there. Uh, it's kind of a wide open race and it's, it's interesting how these local races may be interconnected with it. Yeah, I mean, years ending in two, so like the 2022, the 2032, like these election years are the best years to kind of get incumbents out because there are no incumbents because every single person is fighting in a new district. And so like historically, this is the best year to run for Congress, um, to challenge somebody in office. Um, and I think Lee Zeldin realizes that and that's why he's not, not running again um, because I, he was not like he was doing, wasn't doing well in Congress, but like he wasn't not, not doing well. Like, nothing maybe it's a scandal like it's a year for him to retire at, at this point so it's a wide open race hey i'm gonna say it it's the elephant in the room no no pun intended but this will be his first race after january 6th and he played a very prominent role on january 6th and i think that would be if he were running for re-election in the first district that would be a, a primary focus of the opposition against him and, and it may be enough to swing some votes so but at the same time if he's running for governor are people, are people going to remember that as well and 
you know, he's running for governor in a state that tends to favor Democrats. Well, a cynical observer would would suggest that this run for governor in a in a as a Republican in a state that very rarely, I think George Pataki was the last Republican elected governor. And Lee Zeldin is not George Pataki. Uh, he's much further to the right than that, is more than likely a, a stepping stone to get a little more national prominence and look to something else uh, in the future. It's not necessarily a run. Uh, I think obviously Mr. Zeldin would say differently, he's running to win. Uh, anybody who's running is running to win. But I think the realistic thing is that it would position him better for whatever his next step is, whether it's in politics or something else. Well, and don't don't under, underestimate all the you know the Trump supporters, even in, in in New York State, especially Western New York, and you know in Central New York, where where you know there, it's not it's not as uh, left leaning as it is out here on Long Island. It's I don't know. It's not that I feel like it's not that left leaning out on Long Island either. I feel like it's a largely Republican leaning overall from, you know, both counties. I don't know. It's not as it's not as left out here as I think people would assume. I think you're right. I think, you know, New York City oftentimes um, uh, determines the, the state races. I think Lee Zeldin's campaign is sort of an all in on the idea that maybe the entire country is moving rightward. And if that's true, there's at least a chance that that that'll be that'll be seen in the the New York uh, results too. Alec, I, just just to clarify, so this bipartisan commission was created, and their goal was to draw these boundaries by coming together and trying to compromise. And essentially, they weren't able to come up with a compromise. So both parties on that commission release their own maps, right? And so that's, the problem is if that commission doesn't come up with a, a resolution, it gets kicked to the state legislature. Do I have that correct? Not really. <laughs> so like, they can come up with a, re a resolution and it could still, it still has to go to the state legislature regardless. And they could also submit two things to the state legislature. They just have to submit something on January 1st. And regardless of if it's one map, it's two maps, regardless of what it is the legislature can throw it out accept it they can do whatever they want with it they have the power in the end to approve maps okay so the commission doesn't have the power to decide the new district lines they just make recommendations to the state legislature that's correct it's not it's not an independent commission it is it. it's bipartisan it's called independent it's not um other states have fully independent commissions and those are called independent commissions. New York's is more of a hybrid model. So, so because the Democrats hold Albany so completely, they've got the state Senate, the, the assembly and the governor's seat. It's likely that what the Democrats want is going to be what, what we end up with. Unless, unless they hold on to some moral value of hold, like going with this redistricting plan and it's out the window. Um, but the, the, an interesting point is in the U.S. Senate, Senate Democrats have proposed a bill that would really rein in partisan gerrymandering. And so there is a tension there between what the governor of New York and a lot of New York officials in the Democratic Party have said what they want to do with um, district lines and what Senate Democrats are doing. So there's a bit of tension. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, the Senate bill is not going anywhere, but 
it's interesting to see how these values kind of conflict. Do we think that, that the Fair Voting Rights Act will ever come back in play where states are required to submit their maps in the future to the federal government? Or is that sort of that the horse has left the barn? I, I, don't, I don't think I'd be speculating on that. I don't know enough about that. I, I don't either. It seems to go to the whole argument of federalism and, and the, the battle between, you know, should, should the federal government oversee elections in a more prominent way, or should that be something the states do themselves? And that's sort of at the heart of a lot of fights right now in Washington. So I wouldn't expect that to change significantly. And if anything, it's likely to go the other way. Yeah, it does seem like things have gotten, you know, once that went away, um, that seems like when everything sort of went crazy, you know, when there was no oversight for a lot of those states. I think one of you made the point that it just feels like um, one side does something to push the margin a little to one direction and the other side has to, in order to respond, they do the same thing only in the opposite direction a little further. And then the other side, the idea of finding a compromise solution just seems to have been completely lost in, in politics at every level of government right now. And, and what we have instead is this pendulum effect of swinging really far in, in either direction and then counterbalancing that with a real far swing in the other way. And uh, I think that's just the times. Do you think that's new or, or do you think that's the way that it's kind of always, always been? There was a time at the national level where, I mean, there's always partisanship. Of course, there's partisanship. Right. That's, that's how it exists. But I think it started um, about 20 years ago when, 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 it, when it really broke and, and the idea became, uh, it's the some zero gain that, that I have to win and you have to lose right. in order, the, there can't be a compromise victory uh, that doesn't benefit me politically. I need I need not just to win. I need your side to lose. And I think both parties have been guilty of that at different times. And I think Alec and I were talking uh, by email this week about the um, the the um, deficit. Uh, what am I trying to say? The budget uh, debt ceiling. The debt ceiling. The fight. The, thank you. Thank you. The debt ceiling. Um, that that I fully expected that. To, to go right up to a deadline and then there'd be a some type of resolution because both sides need to make political hay out of that. And right. it just was clear to me, both sides were doing that. And I've, Alec, I find it ironic. I didn't get to follow up with you, but so their solution is to push it off for two more months. So they get two more months of making political hay out of it on both sides that, that both sides have to yeah. be thrilled with that resolution because they can continue this fight for two more two more months now. Oh, it, it, you know, it's it's interesting, Joe. I mean, I, I remember reading uh, Ted Ted Kennedy's biography, autobiography, a number of years ago, and he did talk about that. And he did talk about that. You know, that there there used to be the disagreements, but but they were you know, you could have senators that were on opposite sides of the aisle, but they would they would go out and they would you know drink together and eat together, and they were friends. Um, and when it came down to it, then they could sit down and they could come up with some kind of compromise that was was fair to 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 both sides that neither side was 100 percent happy with. But they could reach a compromise. And, and I think you see you see less of that now. 
I mean, I hate to say it, but I think this all this is all sort of the result of the the whole Tea Party movement that we saw, which was about like what you know when was that. 10 15 years ago or more yeah good 10 years ago and and i feel like what we're reaping now was the seeds planted in um the whole formation of the tea party movement yeah and the idea of people that were just going to sort of get into government in order to be total obstructionists and um it wasn't so much this is what i'm for it's like i'm against whatever you're proposing and that's my job is stop whatever you want to do and it's relevant to note that that lee zeldin was elected coming out of that movement to some degree. I mean, I don't think he was a Tea Party candidate per se, but uh, he did ride that, uh, he rode that that wave a little bit. Yes, he did. So what was the thing um, in your story, um, Alec, there was something about Shelter Island. Was that more of like the state um, districting, the idea of Shelter Island not being part of the first district? Um, just one of the draft maps had Shelter Island not in one of the first assembly districts because there was such a big population increase on the east end, like the district does have to get smaller um, to kind of, so it's stays proportional. So part of Fred Field's district will inevitably be a bit smaller, something's gonna have to get cut off. Um, he mentioned that he didn't want to lose Shelter Island in the phone interview, but I, he might lose it, I don't, I don't think it's up to him. I mean, it is up to him, but he does vote on this, but we'll see what happens. Interesting. So whatever happens with these maps, we have to, they have to be submitted to um, the federal government by January 1st, is that right? The state government by January, the state legislature by January 1st. Oh, I see, okay, uh-huh. So what happens is they, if the maps go to the legislature on the 1st, they can reject them. If they reject them, the commission has to redraw them by the 15th of January. The legislature then has to reject them again, so a second rejection, and then they can just draw them themselves. Um, and so I think if that all happens, you'll see maps that are very favorable to elected Democrats. You'll see the New York Times did an analysis and they found that they could, their Democrats can make it so there's only two GOP seats in the entire state. I don't know if that will happen, but that's a possibility. Interesting. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Let's see what happens. All right, everybody. Get out there and check out your maps and vote. Please do. And, and also, you know, respond to the census because that's ultimately why we're where we are right now. Yeah. 89, 89 people, 89 of you out there. Way to go, buddies. Not even 89 households. That's 89 people. That could be eight people with 10 kids each. But oh well, there you have it. All the news that fits. It was probably somebody upstate. Don't worry about it. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. 
Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.